0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the smoothest glass of Amarula for your mind, two crickets in a thorn tree. I'm half of your host, Nicholas Lorimer, joined, as ever, by the other half of your hosts,
1: Gabriel Krauser. do Oh,
0: yeah. Well, uh, it's been a while. Uh, sorry about that. Um, Gabriel once again managed to eat interesting foods and poison himself. Yeah. He didn't do it last
1: Monday, and then the week kind of got away from us. Uh, Let me tell so a quick back. story about that. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Which is that so last week Saturday was my nephew's seventh eighth birthday party. And it was like dude, it was like as big as a wedding. There were like 40 kids and 25 grown-ups. And we played uh jumping bag races and oh, three-legged fantastic. races and all kinds of delicious things. Lots of swimming and Cake for the kiddies and the grown-ups, I think, hadn't hung out with each other in a while, quite a few of them. So they got very excited and then almost ate the children's cake. (laughs) (laughs) So, we we have to have some grandparently interventions. (laughs) You
0: told me about this, and I just imagined sort of throwing children to the side while you all rushed for the cake.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there was like some champagne and some beer that happened, it it was like a lunchtime party. So, by like three o'clock when the cake came out, we were very excited. Um, Okay, so it is, Uh, no permanent injuries, it is all going to be okay. point is that then uh, when quite a few of the guests had left we had a, a nighttime braai and I was made braai master and my great challenge was brying skill with no light and uh, some of the audience might know what that is but uh, the, I have only had skill really once or twice before in my life uh, but it's like something my mom remembers eating as a child with profound nostalgia liver wrapped in a kind of intestinal fat so that it's like crispy and fatty on the outside and like stays juicy on the inside and it's like lamb liver or beef liver not chicken liver it's amazingly good it just is the best thing i've ever eaten off braai but it's really worrying because you don't want to undercook the liver and you don't want to overcook the fat because it quickly burns it's all it wants to do and i didn't really have light so I was like super focused and I think I pulled it off and like people who'd never eaten these like these like ladies were who'd never had Skullpikes before started singing Sutu Prey songs. <laughs> so you know the audience is, is so captivated. <laughs> <laughs> we did well we were very happy um, but then on Sunday evening I like had to bail on two crickets and another podcast because I was really not doing well dynamite um and so i was worried that that's what happened but then i realized what happened is i drank woolworth's fruit juice that was like fresh unpreserved and i had it two weeks old and i'd been driving for like four and a half hours and then i got home and then i just opened the bottle and like glugged it. it was already open and i like glugged half of it and then i was like wow that tastes like fizzy alcohol because it had gone so badly off um but i didn't anyway so no one else at the bry. Had any issues so it wasn't the yes. bride wasn't the skill bikies. i'm vindicated i'm okay it's difficult to think of a bigger disaster if you had poisoned everyone at the bride. <laughs> oh my word dude i was so worried i was like i'm feeling sick and what if like a whole bunch of other people are feeling sick <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, it was terrifying it was terrifying but it all Indeed. it all ended up okay so uh we're back and i'm sorry about uh missing that but it just it just was quite a hectic week and not an easy one to find a a slot in between, but here we are, uh, here we are down and ready to clown around.
0: Uh, exactly. And we've got our, uh, uh, yet another example of corporate do you want to, wait, hold on. Do you want to, yeah, let's do the burning burning thing first. So of, of the kind of corporate cowardice and Scraping and bowing before, I don't know the sort of prevailing nonsense. Uh, Gareth Cliff did a show, and uh, he, there was a the woman on it with him, and she said that racism was a big problem. And he said, "No, racism is not a big problem." And there's surveys by the IRR that prove that it isn't. And then she said, "Okay, well, this is my daily experience is of racism." And he said, "Okay, that's cool, but like it doesn't. No one cares because, you know, that's just your opinion, man. Basically, or that's just your 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 thing. It's got nothing to do with actually how most people in the country uh, experience yeah. their lives." And immediately there was the sort of predictable outrage. Um, you should the the
1: woman in question. I think talked Moodzuli about. raki Rakivane, correct. Who, uh, as far as I can right. tell, is sort of a Musi Maimani acolyte. She's in one action essay or something. Anyway,
0: yeah, she's what is it? She said when they try to shut you down for being a black woman or something. I don't know. She tweeted something something similar to that effect. Which I, I was tempted to ask who's they, but anyway. Um. <laughs> And yeah, Predictable Outrage followed, and Nando's, which sponsors some of Gareth Cliff's uh,
1: content, pulled uh, pulled that sponsorship. Just just, just to take a step back. So the, the really detailed moment is uh, uh, Cliff quotes the IRS reports or just cites them, and her and uh, Muzuli's response is, and I quote directly here, they obviously don't experience the type of racism I experience on a daily basis. And it seems like there she was referring they to being the IRR, but really, you know, we, we commissioned the survey. Um, It's our respondents, thousands of randomly selected demographically representative South Africans uh, who she's dismissing um, as not. And obviously most people don't experience the same kind of, uh, racism that she experiences on a daily basis. Cause we asked, have you experienced any form of racism in the last five years? And most people said no. And that's just once in five years, Uh, but she's experiencing racism every single day. So she's in a different space to most people. It's interesting. Yeah. uh, I'm sure we're going to be talking
0: about this during the week because, you know, obviously we're, (coughs) we're here. We're quoted. Yeah. Yeah. We're quoted and, Uh, This one hits a little bit close to home because, you know, we've uh, had some good dealings with Gareth, uh, Cliff, in the past. Um, It's quite uh, amusing, though, because now suddenly there's sort of woke people on Twitter discovering the IRR for the first time, and uh, one of them confused France with Hansi Cronier's brother, (laughs) which is... Very funny. All those watches look the same. Yeah, I can't believe that. What is it? They I can't believe this Christian filmmaker and cricket dude is making, is, is running this evil right-wing think tank, which was absolutely hilarious. Anyway. Um, yeah, so we will be talking about this over the rest of the week, but it's just frustrating because of how quickly it happened and how when I heard the recording, I thought, oh, uh she's not gonna be happy with that. And Gareth is, you know, he was he was pretty you could tell he was annoyed, I think. Yeah, but I uh, think what he
1: did so 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 let's just do a bit of style. So content wise, this hmm. is just basically science against yeah, um yeah, yeah. Volksgeist theory. The Volksgeist theory says that everyone thinks the same who looks the same. Right. And so I don't need to do a survey to figure out what white South Africans think, because what I think is what they think. Um, And Cichler, for example, doesn't need to do a survey of what black South Africans think, because they must all think what he thinks. Um, So that's one theory. Okay. And then there's this other theory where individuals think different things. And uh, if you want to figure out what people think at a generalized level, then you have to do a random randomized survey. And there are all these best practices involved, and you get your confidence intervals, you get your means, um, and then you get a really strong uh, bit of evidence for, for you know, what proportion think this and what proportion think that. So, you've got those two different um, methods of figuring out uh, what do most people think, is most people 50%, is it 70%, so on. There's a clash. There's obviously been a clash about, between those two views on the world. Um, it's really at least 140 years old. Um, in Germany, social scientists in the 1880s were sort of saying, look, we've had this enlightenment, we've had the scientific revolution, that's very exciting, but uh, it's not really all that because <laughs> very uh, exciting except for Jews, the Jews you know, Sem- Semitic people are kind of thinking things uh, and and teaching things and and that's not a good idea and slavs are thinking things and teaching things and that's not a good idea really the only true wisdom will come from the blue-eyed aryans um and you know w.e.b du bois sort of took the same idea uh, and applied it to african americans and so on down the line yeah Mm -hmm. so it's an old clash it's a it's a it's the latest installment of a very old movie um and and that's the content side uh And I think our views are pretty clear on that. On the style side, I want to say in criticism of Gareth, he said nobody cares about your lived experience. Right. So technically that that... that can't be true because obviously she cares about her lived experience and so does a lot of Twitter. (laughs) But I don't think that that's what he meant. I think, you know, it's fair to say there's some kind of uh, contextual interpretive scope for when people say nobody thinks this, maybe you should say hardly anybody thinks this or Really, if you want to be statistically accurate, you should say something like 3% of people on our polls think that racism <laughs> is the top priority. And 3% and nobody are not the same thing. But I think that in common parlance, we understand that if 3% of people think that the moon is made of cheese, it's fair to say nobody thinks right. the moon is made of like,
0: cheese. Look. Is uh, uh, this is this is what I was gonna uh, about to say? Basically, he was just a bit sort of rude and dismissive of her, and he was clearly annoyed because he. I got the impression that he felt that she was trying to leverage her her social identity as a
1: as a tool to shut down the. the, the I don't country. think he felt that. I think he observed that. I think that is a fact right. in the world. She was trying to say because I'm black. On this panel, I get to decide
0: authoritatively
1: what truth is, what truth right. is. and so that's not a that thing that annoyed that's,
0: him. And, yeah. and he responded to that
1: uh, rather shortly. Uh, <laughs> I'd say brusque <laughs> so rather than rude, but he—you know—if right. you look at the whole video after that and before that, he he affords her opportunities to speak. Sometimes she takes them, sometimes she doesn't. He interrupts John Uh I'd say about as much as her. At the very least, he, he clearly interrupts Steenhagen as well. Um, and wow. I've been on Gareth's show. He's interrupted me. Sometimes he gets to the point where he's like, okay, th- I know where this is going. I think my audience knows where this is going. Rather than waste airtime, yes. I'm going to step in. So
0: so here's... I mean, I mean uh, part of the reason that that's an important fact to observe is because in Nando's cancellation of him, they basically said, look, we... Uh, we've supported him in the past because we think that you know it's important to support lots of different platforms for debate in the country but at the same time he wasn't allowing other people to express their views properly
1: um in this case the the which is which is true if you look at the minute long clip and not true if yeah. you look at the next minute where Precisely. he says okay i've said my thing now you go ahead and explain your views yeah. and she and she doesn't really um Right. So I think I you know, I'm I'm just trying to distinguish the style from the content and say at the level of style, there's something positive to be said about Gareth, something that I look up to, which is that he didn't raise the pitch of his voice. Um I had a similar clash with Clement Magnatella on seven oh two, uh, mm-hmm. where I was uh speaking to IRR polls to justify right. why we put up a billboard that said racism is not the problem. And he said well dude you know i experienced racism in my daily life and i said well i'm very sad to hear that but uh you know majority 60 percent of our our respondents and a super majority of black respondents said they had experienced absolutely no form of racism and you know it's kind of i've listened to 702 and i've heard people call it black people call in and say that and and heard them get uh sort of rudely handled by 702 hosts so maybe the reason you're not getting that kind of feedback from your listeners is because you're you, discouraging you them when they say it yeah <laughs> but what i did which wasn't as good as gareth is that i raised the pitch of my voice i i was getting stressed mm-hmm. because it's kind of it's a very it was, antagonistic environment yeah yeah i'd heard yeah, no, a little bit to be called I, raises and i was like oh, care. and that's not I, great communication and gareth
0: didn't do that gareth kept yeah i agree base. i agree he's he's just He's, he, but he's also, you know, he's been in this game a long time, and he's been "quote unquote" yeah. controversial for a long time. So he's like, I think he has this kind of extremely robust sort of self-confidence in himself, and yeah. that he thinks and that's his own you know, platform. And, yeah, yeah. He thinks, he thinks. Look, you know, come on, let's stop being silly here and just like get to the heart of this thing. Yeah. Um, which which is very good.
1: But anyway, we'll see how it checks out. I mean, there's still, uh, I'm So sure a, cu- a couple be... of further notes. You know, Nando's. Uh, sponsored a speech by Julius Malema. Uh, that right. went for an hour in which he excoriated white supremacists uh, without naming them, and basically leading one to think that any white person who's got some wealth is uh, is evil. Um, so, so Wonderful. That's about that. they're not. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, and and I I will say my my response in a way is that I I think that the ship has probably sailed. I think once they've withdrawn their sponsorship from uh, the burning platform, I don't see them uh, taking that back and sponsoring the burning platform again, which Mm -hmm. is unfortunate. But to my mind, all hope is not lost. Um, I'm very keen on, and if anyone listening uh, is involved with Nando's, I'm very keen on them sort of sponsoring the next IRR survey uh they can they can i don't know how much they were giving gareth but they can give us a million bucks or two million bucks or whatever and uh and let's use that money to either bring forward the date when we do that next survey or um or increase the sample size that we're able to afford on our next survey and i think if they did that they would uh they'd be able to hold on to this sort of style content division and say, look, uh, we we had a stylistic complaint against Gareth, um, which personally right. I think is unfair and silly, but whatever, let that be their discretion. Um, but in terms of the, the deeper question of content of whether uh, anyone should assume that everyone who looks the same thinks the same, or whether we should use scientific database approaches to evaluate what most South Africans think. Uh, Nando should, Clearly, be falling on the latter, and they'd show that they that they mean that by putting their money where their mouth is. If they if they believe in science and they believe in figuring out how most South Africans think about racism and uh, so on, then they can give us a million bucks, and we will yeah. go and ask, and we'll do the work, and then we'll report it. So, I I want to take that challenge back to Nando's. We'll see if if I'm able to do so, but that's <laughs> you know, I, my. I must... I must say, that's I'm my skeptical. motive for Vinny. I want to build bridges. Right. No,
0: I I agree, and and that would be a very good thing. Um, although I, I I'm somewhat skeptical of of whether Nando's will take up that challenge. But, Gareth might uh, feel
1: slightly irritated if 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 they do. Yeah. Take it up. <laughs> yeah. It's like Why he quotes the IR, he gets cancelled. <laughs> we get the money.
0: There you are. Then we steal his we steal his sponsorship.
1: But I mean <laughs> this as a compliment. I think if it did work out that way, he wouldn't um be Probably not, terribly uh, yeah. sour against yeah. us because I think he is uh a man who has generosity of spirits. As as brusque as he can be and as controversial as he's been, um I think he really deeply cares about this country and about an empirical approach to to humans and and nature and um right. Right so I don't know. There's I'm just looking for a silver lining. We will see. Okay. Indeed. On to the anyway, next topic, before uh, I sound terribly sentimental, on <laughs> <laughs> and like a naive yeah. fool. Sometimes, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> Move so, us along, Nick. Save me from myself.
0: <laughs> so, speaking, of, speaking of, of, of people being silly, um, there is this issue that you have been kind of hopping on about for a bit, which is the seroprevalence study. Um, so, that is basically checking people's antibodies to see if they've had a particular disease. In this case, it would be COVID, of course. And you said that uh, there, was, there was a seroprevalence study, wasn't there, in South Africa yep. that just kind of fizzled? Just, yeah. What, what exactly
1: happened? So, it started, it was supposed to have 78,000 subjects, which is a big enough, That's number a to good get amount a really of people. High yeah. confidence interval supposed to be broken into two tranches, like uh, 30, 38,000 each time or 36,000 each time, something like that. And started in November last year, but then has been dragged out so slowly, like they haven't hit all their marks. They've kind of chosen weird spots and mainly they've just done very, very little of it um, and dragged it out over time. So if you're doing like 3,000 now, over here and then you wait two months and you do 3000 there. And then you wait three months and you do 3000 there. It's, it's really a different kind of thing to, if you do the 35,000 in one go, right. much less 78,000 in one go. So here's why really You're not really getting a snapshot of what's going on with the disease. No. So as far as we can tell, I mean, the seroprevalence studies have come out slightly lower than, um, the, the seroprevalence studies that are more famous. For example, uh, postnatal, prenatal, uh, antenatal, and, post, uh, and, and and postnatal um, clinics in the Western Cape, uh, blood donors in the Eastern Cape. Um, there have been various ways where it's sort of r- rather than looking for sick people with COVID, you, you kind of get something like a random sample of, of blood, and then you go and test that for COVID antibodies, and you see what prevalence you have. And those were coming out quite, I mean, above 50% in, in, in the Eastern Cape. Mm-hmm last year towards the end of it and around 50% in the Western Cape. Um, and, but then there were questions about sample bias. Like if you're dealing with sort of women who are having these kind of complicated pregnancies um, often related to drugs, or HIV or whatever, then is this a fair uh, sample of the society? Are you getting people who are unusually high contact uh, right. <laughs> so, so these studies have been a bit lower, but not that much lower. I mean, the, the one that I saw in April was sort of pushing on 40% of people have been infected. This is now before the third wave. Um, so in the absence of really good prevalence studies, we have to rely on the discovery style estimates, which I pushed for at the start of the year because they'd done it voluntarily in August last year and then I was like guys you can't say a third of the country or quarter of the countries had COVID um, after the first wave and then just leave it at that we've now had a second wave where do you think things lie now right and they've they've sort of uh, after pressure they've become accustomed to kind of releasing this voluntarily and the latest estimate had us at about 80 percent of people have been infected Uh, Now, I often say, you know, their infection fatality ratio is too high. They basically just used a Swedish infection fatality ratio drawn from the CDC in the US, which is not age adjusted for South Africa, which is ridiculous because 20% of Sweden is over 65, but 8% of 6% of South Africans are over 65, something like that. And that changes how it looks. But if you adjust that age fatality ratio for South Africa to be something like it is for India, which you can do because we've got good data there. Uh, coming from Ioannidis, the sort of world's most fe- cited scientist, who did this meta-analysis of um, inf- infection fatality ratios, you can you can you can find something like a good number for South Africa. And the other problem with discovery is that they say all excess deaths must be COVID deaths, or ninety percent right, might be which is S. almost certainly not true. So you bring both of those down, and you introduce further variants and you see that South Africa is, you know, let's say at the lowest sitting on like sixty three percent 65 percent of the high sitting on 85 percent maybe averaging somewhere in the mid 70s plus uh 20 percent in excess of the population being pretty much fully vaccinated more than 20 percent it's like of the adult population of all population above 15 years old i did the calculation on friday it was like 33 percent of south africans have been fully vaccinated uh so it's starting to look really good uh and by the yeah. way those those infection ratios are 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 also not properly adjusting for children so if you if you if you wipe out people below 15 then it really starts looking like um, the vast vast majority of people have either been infected or been vaccinated okay so if that's the case then that means that we're going to have a fourth wave probably in december because of behavioral changes maybe uh, later, because the change factor is uh, a, a really new generation of escape mutations going mainstream um, evolution. So, on that point,
0: actually, I've heard people who I don't think are super clued up on on the science um, saying things like they've they've heard from from they've read that scientists are saying that there's it's unlikely that a serious escape mutation is going to mutate at this point be just because of the structure of the virus. Do you think there's anything to that?
1: Yeah, I think that it it's... I think that's a worrying... It's an interesting claim. At some point, it's likely to be true. So measles has gotten to the point where measles is going nowhere. It mutates uh, with regularity. Um, it generates... Uh, the the kinds of mutations that don't make a semantic difference. Remember that genes are just like uh, letters in words. So you can, you can change the spelling of apple uh, to drop the second P, but we still all know that it's an apple that you're talking about and not an orange. You have to change the letters differently for it to make a semantic difference. So there are these um, sort of meaningless changes that are constantly being made with measles. And there are some meaningful changes that get made, but none really get made in terms of escape. And that's why measles sits in this sort of endemic position where it keeps coming up, um, but it never goes mainstream. Right. It, it never overcomes sort of our vaccinations and our, and our uh, convalescent protection. So some, and that's, and that's because measles has hit a structural thing. The, the reason I'm saying it's got these random mutations is that it's still trying. It's still figuring it out. It's still looking for a gap in the market. It's the, for the, the, the,
0: the gap it needs to travel to make it to the next sort of level is very far and so it's unlikely to make that jump unless I don't know it has a huge outbreak and gets lots of opportunities to mutate I assume that's that's sort of how this works
1: it's not clear that even if it had a lot of opportunities it would be able to bridge the gap because because the gap is not some small changes uh, at particular locations but something like you know growing an extra leg uh, in a in a four-legged animal, you know, which hey, is, look, it,
0: it, it happens, dude, you know, uh, the spider, a spider had to get those eight legs from somewhere, and
1: it probably didn't start out with them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, but it's so, so a much longer so time scale, it, right. <laughs> so, so just adding numbers, even if somehow 50% of the population could be infected by measles, it's not clear that that would be enough, you'd need that to then accumulate over a long period of time. Uh, for for the kind of structural change to take place that would afford it genuine escape potential. Okay, so has COVID reached that point? Oh, SARS-CoV two reached that point. Maybe. Um, the yeah, you know, yeah I, I'm I'm hesitant to make that claim because we,
0: you know, my sense is we still we're a little bit unsure precisely what this
1: thing is all about. Well, we don't. Well, have look at it the other way. Of, wow. Look at it the other way. We know quite a lot about coronaviruses in general. So, two thousand two hundred ninety. We, we've sort of had genetically sequenced since the 50s. It's the common cold. Might very well have been the Spanish flu, but well, it's hard to say. 2 t e has developed escape mutations for the last four, 50 years uh, that have been well studied at the London School of Cold and Flues, where they, you know, take people in and deliberately take someone's mucus and, and pour it into someone else's nose, so that you are like deliberately infecting human Just human know
0: that 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 Gabriel almost looked like he was about to pick his nose as a way of demonstration there,
1: but he pulled back at the last minute. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm a weak link. Okay, but it's, you know, it's kind of you know that's the kind of thing that we don't do much of anymore. But the point is that we've got sort of just better than gold standard evidence on how TG90 works. And it's it's achieved escape mutations against convalescent protection on a sort of five-year cycle uh, for the last 50 years. So it has not hit the structural ceiling. Uh, It has continued to... On the other hand, um, it's super undeadly. So the escape mutations have not been sufficient to turn it into a destructive force. Uh, Just what it does kill as uh, old people who right. have immunosenescence. You know, their immune systems basically just die a little bit. Um, and the common cold, its inf- infection fatality ratio in old age homes has, has been found to be 10%. Um, so that's that's sort of uh, not everywhere, but not nowhere. That's a sort of meta-study average, again, coming from cited by you, and I, just, I can't remember who actually did the study. Um, so the point is that I, th- I'm, I'm, I think that there's good reason to be skeptical because the structure of a coronavirus meeting the structure of a human immune system is such that ceilings seem to be pretty far away from where they are. There seems to be room for um, for, much for dodging. Much, yeah. yeah. So it'd be really nice if that's where we are, but it seems unlikely <laughs> to me that's, that's where not- we are. I think that is probably optimistic yeah you know. but anyway um okay so back to the two scenario okay back to the back to the good news scenario the good news scenario would be you know most of us have had it uh or been vaccinated or both and so you're going to have a fourth wave in cases it's going to look pretty grim but when you look at the deaths, it's going to be totally fine yeah, uh, really from a national level. From an individual level, it's going to be tragic. Some granny's going to catch it and she's going to die, and that's going to be terrible. Some grandfather's going to uh, get infected; he's going to die, and that's going to be terrible. But it won't be a national state of disaster. It won't be the. It'll be the kind of thing that you manage better by uh, improving how we work in old age homes, and also it's the kind of thing that where we run against a ceiling of like, we're just never going to be able to stop death. Like people are old, frail people who've suffered immunosenescence, particularly they've had stressful lives. They haven't had good immune systems. They've not cognitively being well taken care of, um, stimulated and such like, Uh, you know, it turns out to be the case that, that, that you and I are going to die and we're going to die sooner than we would if we were like, in an ideal world, uh, but but the sort of returns to investment at the margins, you know, sort of changing your life so that you can live 83 years rather than 82 years or something like that, um, becomes the kind of thing where uh, there's there's important national level work to be done, like improve the education system, that'd be great, uh, reduce unemployment, that'd be great, uh, but we're sort of specifically targeting it. Uh, you know, by sort of locking down the whole country in order to to achieve that is going to start being counterproductive because it's going to it's going to actually reduce life expectancy more on the downside than it increases it on the upside, and and that's probably where we've already been with lockdowns. But it'll become so much more obviously tragic uh, that we're we're crushing all South Africans in the name of saving a few and not even doing that. Um, and, and, so, and on that point. Um, we are still in what disaster level one or something like
0: that. We're, the state yeah. disaster was renewed recently, and yet I was just looking uh, <laughs> at the at the data yesterday. Um, positivity rate, so that's the number of tests done that come back positive, and this is like a kind of rough indicator of like whether the thing is getting bigger or not. Uh, down to one point six
1: percent, which is super low. Yeah, so that means you're not missing that many cases. Yeah, you're really not missing that many cases. You're doing a lot of testing. Only
0: 449 across the whole country. And in the heart of the nation's urban area in Gauteng, there were 47 cases, which is not a lot. So, you know, here's the great thing about a state of disaster. You can reissue it if things get bad again.
1: Yeah, you can take it away and you can start again. But so this is yeah. so this is what I'm trying to get at. So you've got these two scenarios going forward. The One is the good news scenario, the other one is the bad news scenario, where it turns out discoveries estimates are way off. It turns out that almost everyone who's been vaccinated was kind of a useless vaccination because they already had convalescent protection. So yeah, we vaccinated like a third of adults, but they were part of the 50% who already had it. <laughs> Uh, so really only 50 percent of the population is protected and 50 percent is immunonaive and so they're really at risk and so you get a fourth wave in cases and then you get a major fourth wave in deaths and it looks like the third wave and it's terrible uh, so he has, he has he has an epistemic problem in the first wave and the second wave before vaccinations and huge convalescent numbers, Cases were a good lead indicator of deaths to come. So it takes two weeks on average or 17 days between getting it and dying. Um, So you see the cases are going up today and you're like, wow, if we don't do something about this, the deaths are going to start going up in two weeks. Um, However, in in the alternative, like in the UK and Denmark and so on, where you've got huge vaccination and some convalescent protection, cases are not a good predictor. The UK entered its Freedom Day, where it sort of ended its last restrictions, effectively, at a point where the cases had been doubling every few days. Uh, And the deaths hadn't been coming up yet. And the guys who wanted lockdown... and by the way, twenty percent of Brits want lockdown forever, want a curfew forever, and forty percent, you know, between twenty and forty percent want masks to be compulsory forever, and casinos and whatever to be shut down forever. Anyway, uh, Brits said, you know, the the the, the pro lockdowners said, dude, don't worry about the death numbers, the case numbers, are the lead indicator. You need a lockdown now. You need to keep the lockdown, make it actually harsher, uh, because the death numbers are going to follow. The government said, no, uh, we're looking at the ONS, which is done at zero prevalence surveys, and we're seeing ninety percent of Brits have protection so the death numbers are not going to climb uh and so we're going to open up and they did and the death numbers did not climb they're still hovering between like one and three per day per million which is not disaster zone it's tragic for those individuals but it's uh it's not um the national kind of disaster that would justify um those extreme measures so you don't know What your lead indicator means, whether it's a lead indicator or not, unless you also know what your immune protection situation is. If you've got very little immune protection, then cases climbing up. Let's say we succeed. You enter the state of disaster. Cases start climbing 17th December. Well, there's a really good argument. Shut down Christmas, cancel New Year's Eve, send the tourists back home uh tell everyone in the entertainment industry, the film industry, the tourism industry, I, look, your lives depend on this, but not just you've say, got to take it in the teeth because uh we're gonna have a huge increase we, in cases. we in case. are
0: living we are living in some kind of nightmare world when cancelling Christmas is literally government policy in some cases.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and the UK by the way is talking about maybe cancelling Christmas and, and and I think that's partly because they are trying to encourage booster shot uptake. Their booster shot uptake is uh, so, half, people, people. half as slow on the receiving end um, as their vaccine uptake was. So, they're trying to spook people to, to get the best protection going forward because vaccine protection does wane worse than convalescent protection. And that is what most Brits depend upon. Okay. Here's my point we don't know what world we're in with great confidence because we're relying on these estimates like Discovery does and like I do in different ways, but coming to more or less the same place. Which, are, which have more uncertainty built into them, because you don't know what the IFR truly is. Okay. If we did a seroprevalence study for 10 million rand, we could figure out with much higher confidence where we are. I think we've already got a lot of confidence, but we would have so much more if we did a proper seroprevalence study. Right. And then we could know when the cases start climbing again, whether that means we need to shut down again, or whether we need to be like the brits and be like no the debts are not going to follow this we'll watch the deaths and when the debts stay pretty much flat or below this disaster threshold you know you've made the right call because you've saved lives and livelihoods
0: deaths and hospitalizations that's the other thing
1: yeah, that's the other thing very much but we're not doing that our prevalence came and it went Uh, It's been useless and no one wants to stick out their nose and sponsor an actual test for the same reason that Nick probably thinks and is probably right to think that Nando's won't stick out a million bucks to sponsor uh, another survey on what people think about race because people are chicken, because people are afraid of finding the facts. And it's a disaster. If you look at how much damage this will do to any major bank, to any major mine, to any major tourism like consortium they would make back their money by orders of magnitude it would be such a good investment to just say here's 10 million bucks go do the zero prevalence test you can start it on the 10th of november finish it on the 20th have the results published by the 1st of december you can get a really quick turnaround time on these things and then we'll know in december whether we should be uh thinking about this one thing or one way or another that's what we would do if we had any common sense in in, <laughs> in amongst our sort of high worth elite. We'd do if South Africa was run by a
0: competent technocratic elite. But but it's Sadly. so much easier <laughs>
1: to just be like, let's wait and see. I mean, some some flipping NC dude who lives in the foothills of Westcliff, has a very middle class life, sent all four of his children to private schools, was a professor at a Sort of almost Ivy League university multimillionaire. It's like, nah, let's just wait and see. Keep the lockdown forever because it doesn't I, hurt his life. He's exactly, fine. it's fine. I just, I still get my rewards. <laughs> it's just the poor, the working class, the unemployed guys trying to, you know, it's, 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 who cares about them? Who actually cares about them? Yeah. Not the guys with the big bucks. That's for damn sure. Because if they did, they get together and they do a seroprevalence study, so that we can figure out whether. Uh, the time how about we
0: offer Nando's this? Why them? doesn't Nando's do a seroprevalence study? Will you Will you take that if they're uh, too
1: afraid to sponsor our survey? Well, ask them to do both. Very good. <laughs> it would be It would be like two hours worth of chicken sales. Yeah, would solve no, both of these yeah. problems
0: and then we'd be able to end the lockdown and oh you know it'd be good for their own bottom line presumably because
1: look we can end the lockdown either way because right now we're not in a disaster yes it's just well, a question we're really about how do disaster. you reintroduce it what is it that triggers but, okay a reintroduction? when i is say case yeah, spike or yeah
0: when i say when i say end the lockdown i mean get the political ammunition to end the lockdown because right now it's a political problem not a scientific problem correct i mean we've yeah, been skeptical the of lockdowns science. from the beginning oh my, but yeah. Yeah. The, let's Yeah, that's a really good point. It's just maybe we should follow the science in this case. As so many of that uh, that Twitter crowd who are very concerned
1: about you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, what Garrett I, says on his show. He has, he has a beautiful follow the science story. So in Feb, January or February, Nature, uh, which has like a magazine in and also has the world's most prestigious sort of uh, natural science publication, does a survey of scientists. And they say, zero COVID is a beautiful dream. But it's not going to happen. In August, August, Australia, (laughs) in August, Australia says, the Australian government says, no, zero COVID's a beautiful dream. In September, New Zealand and Singapore say zero COVID's a beautiful dream. Uh, It's not a real realistic target. So they followed the science. At a three quarter delay you know at like an eight nine month it literally following the science took as long as like birthing like a, a whole baby sort of pregnancy cycle so I do think I think inevitably we're all going to follow the science. The question is how closely you must closely yeah. follow the science there's an idea
0: <laughs> <laughs> no that's 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 exactly right and yeah, I, you know, South Africa things move a bit more slowly here, yeah? <laughs> so I wouldn't be surprised right. if we um, we meander in the direction of the science rather than rush in
1: its direction.
0: Uh, that's kind of no. Where so I think
1: I think our government's going to cancel Christmas and New Year's. I think we're going to have another hard lockdown in winter next year. I think we might very well cancel Christmas next year, um, and I think basically. <laughs> One way to think about this is like if 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 we at the IRL get our job right, um, look we'll save we'll save the economy now. But uh in the alternative, we will at least stop Christmas and New Year's from being cancelled in twenty twenty two. Um <laughs> Oh, yeah, <laughs> Because by then, we would have built such momentum that it's going to be impossible to look at just case numbers and people are going to have to look at death numbers and it's going to become think, mainstream to say you can't. Do you think lockdown, might, you think hmm. lockdown might just become uh, something like Etolls?
0: You know, it yeah. in theory, but in practice, it doesn't really affect many people's lives.
1: <laughs> yeah, unless, in fact, and this is the bit of irony, is that those corporates who could afford... To sponsor the science, so that we could follow it closely now, Uh, and who too lazy to do that or too kind of silly, silly, they will be the last ones who stuck with the problem, because Mm. the only people who pay tolls are car rental companies. (laughs) (laughs) And by analogy, some corporates, yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, those big, those guys who who are on the VIP list at SARS, who I, really I have say, to stick I mean, with
0: Yeah. Look, let me tell you my own selfish reason for why the lockdown needs to be ended. You know, I agree that it's really missing the lives of the poor. But man, I really enjoyed going to McDonald's at 2 in the morning.
1: <laughs> and as I long know, as this
0: stupid curfew, curfew is sitting there kind of lurking you know, all the big corporates have to follow it. And as a result, no McDonald's open after, what, 11? And that, I mean, you know, I, my, I weep for the poor. But at the same time,
1: <laughs> I, want <no> <laughs> I want my McDonald's. I want Freedom Fries now, boy. <laughs> Precisely. I want it right now. And, and it's so nice to have, imagine, in a world with all these extra unemployed people, having the midnight shift come back. yeah you know
0: know, people people have
1: jobs i mean i'm (laughs) i'm happy to pour all of my money into that yeah dude me too especially because we keep strange hours sometimes you like do like tonight doing a podcast like the the show that you did last week from Mm -hmm. eight till ten probably and then i don't want to go make dinner and i don't really want to go like restaurants kind of close their kitchens at that time i want to go to mickey d's And I maybe want to take an hour to decompress and then go get my Mickey D's at midnight and read the news and prepare for the week. I want that. Not going to get it.
0: I I must say as a a little aside here, um, Sika was very nice in that he said, And when he introduced me on his show when I was last on, he said, "Oh, you know, it's very good that we have Nick back on because I there's been a clamoring for him to come back on the show, and I know he's a popular guest, and I thought we needed to hear from him, and that was very nice because the only reason I was really on the show was because Gabriel was ill, so I had to sub in."
1: (laughs) 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 Yeah, flattery will get you everywhere. No, it will. (laughs) <laughs> Especially once you're right. already there.
0: <laughs> so we've got about 15 minutes until our mythical one-hour uh, end.
1: <laughs> ha ha
0: ha. Uh, I, I've been thinking a little bit about the US. I'm not terribly deeply, but this is—it's quite interesting. I don't think we've talked about it in a huge amount of detail, actually, uh, on this show. But basically, the outline of what's going on in their politics right now is there's two really big spending bills, like really big spending bills. And they were originally conceptualized as being in one. And it was uh, called an infrastructure package. Uh, And then people started to say, all right, that's interesting that it's called an infrastructure package, but why is child care in the infrastructure package? And then they said, okay, well, look, what we're really talking about here is infrastructure as in building roads and social infrastructure, as in Mm -hmm. building society. And so they they ended up splitting the two bills because there was a thought that it might be easier to pass them if they were split into two. Now, this is all within the Democratic Party, I should add, because the Republicans have basically said, yeah, guys, you know, we're on board with the hard infrastructure, that is the roads and stuff, but we're also not going to help you pass anything because you guys are barely but you are the majority party and we're just going to make life difficult for you so we're not going to vote for you at all even if we kind of agree with some of the things you're doing you have to pass this by yourselves yeah should be easy right you guys are the majority well uh it turns out that it isn't so easy because they've got these very narrow majorities there's a moderate caucus and a far left caucus And the two can't agree. The far-left caucus says, if we don't get the social infrastructure stuff, we're not going to support the hard infrastructure stuff. And the moderates say, we want the hard infrastructure stuff, but we don't want the social infrastructure stuff. Because the social infrastructure stuff, I can't remember now how much the, it's it's currently a negotiation, but I think it was $3 trillion worth of spending. Something like that. And the hard infrastructure was, I think, $8 trillion. So even the hard infrastructure bill, which is being now cast as the small one, would be the largest spending bill ever in US history, basically.
1: Okay, but you got to be careful of that. So everything's the largest ever because inflation makes numbers higher and because generally, but it is the largest adjusted for inflation still by, I think, a factor right. of two or three. Right. It is. Yeah, it's
0: it's a big step up. I mean, people complained when Obama wanted to spend, how much was it? in the bailout uh
1: so, so so top was like 700 yeah. and bush's bush's recovery thing was 750 billion let's say and yes it came, came down a little bit and then obama added like two trillion to it let's say overall um yeah. so we've gone from two to eight
0: yeah so it's anyway that it's it's a significant portion of the u.s uh government and debt, and, and by the way
1: yeah so over twenty. Yeah, And and the other thing is that the global financial crisis, one way to think if you're a Keynesian about stimulus is you look, you say, what is the output gap? So how much were we making? What's the gap between what we were making and what we're currently making because the wheels on the bus have come off? And how do we plug that gap? And real stimulus in the global financial crisis was less than the gap. It was about half the gap. Yeah, the gap has been pretty small, and the the stimulus is about at this stage. If that if if both balls go through, I think it's twenty times the gap. The gap has already been filled <laughs> f-
0: f- f-
1: seven times over on Larry Summers's uh, thing, if I remember it correctly. So we're it's a very different kind of situation. It it really is. It's really a way of saying okay, but so here's my. Th- Point. So, so part of the point is that the Democratic Party is kind of ripping itself to shreds. And in a way, the founding fathers designed the American system to be that gridlock well, is so kind of easy that if something's very stupid, then it's likely to just not happen and government gets stuck. Um, but this isn't the political, this isn't that this isn't the founders doing this is just something about the democratic party which is kind of getting in the way of it and which might be salvific because if you can't agree on it and it ends up getting reduced largely then you don't um, add more free money to the system you don't crowd out good business you don't increase the chances of mega inflation or hyperinflation and so it might be a good thing but the the european contrast is is worth noting because what the democrats are really trying to do is turn america into an average european country if you look at the, That's what the um,
0: infrastructure bill is really about.
1: Yeah, if you look at how it's, much—it's
0: it's everything the Democrats have wanted to do on their platform for a long time, except uh, a socialized healthcare.
1: So, if you look at if you look at sort of Michael Moore's tour of Europe, his, it, the, the the numbers way to think about this is that the average European econ- economy, Western economy, sort of half of all of the money is going into government hands and being spent by the government. Whereas in America, it's closer to a third. So if you ramp up the size of government in the way that they're envisaging doing, then you can get America to being sort of European and you get healthcare that's free at the point of delivery, but it's being paid for by everyone else earlier on. You've got sort of scope for much longer um, leave when people have babies for, uh, yeah, all this kind of good free stuff free at the point of delivery, not really free at the point of generation. Um, and a lot of those European countries do pretty well. You know, I think that uh, working class Americans chatting with working class Europeans, working class Europeans sort of often have some stuff to brag about that makes it seem really nice. And likewise when Americans just look north of the border to Canada, which has a similar um, GDP to government revenue or government spending ratio to, to what's going on in Europe. The problem is from a global perspective, that those countries have had much lower growth rates than america uh america has by far the most dynamic economy in the world its stock exchanges are uh huge because it's an exciting place to go and try and bet on interesting new businesses or or grand businesses that are growing america europe european governments have been trying to get uh solar-powered battery-operated cars going for several decades. They didn't make it happen. America made it happen, uh, and it did so largely through its free market mechanisms. Um, The tech revolution uh, could easily have happened in Europe in theory, but it happened in America. Amazon happened in America. Um, These, The move, America's kind of been between something like Ireland, which is a relatively small government and a very dynamic economy, Uh, and something like France and Spain, which have really large governments and and pretty stagnant economies. And if it moves in the latter direction, then it's a nightmare. But just my last point on Europe is, if you go to the B1M, for example, sort of YouTube channel about massive infrastructure projects, the most exciting ones are all in Europe. So the tunnel through the Alps connecting (laughs) Austria to northern Italy, the bridges and... You know these amazing bridges that kind of float or go underground. A lot of them in Scandinavia, but the Netherlands' ability to hold back rising seas and terrible storms. Uh, you know, Venice trying to keep itself afloat. They're yeah, trying to fix am- itself. <laughs> there are amazing things happening, and and a and a lot of it is basically backed by the EU. So a lot of it's done directly through EU. Um, but it's like. Let's let's put it this way. I don't think it'll be possible without the EU. Um, they, I I think the something that I hypothesise. I'm not sure if it's true, but is that you need a couple of decades of big government, low growth, um, sclerosis effectively before the before the government gets efficient enough to be able to pull some of these projects off. And so, you know, in a way, the best thing to hope is that if the Democrats do get this right and blow up the debt and turn another 20% of America into a kind of government project, then it's going to be a nightmare for America and for the world for the next few decades. And then maybe by 2050 or 2040, they'll be smart enough to, to put in uh, a proper train line running from San Francisco <laughs> to Los Angeles. Yeah, this that's, is, this is, that's,
0: the, that's the hope, right? So this is very much the impression I get of the US is that um they're good at a lot of things, but government is not one of them. The American government seems sometimes to be almost kind of like third-world levels of ineptitude. just in its sort of it's got a lot of money and it does have some uh, uh areas of supreme excellence, and I'd take it any day over our government. But that being said. It just doesn't seem to work nearly as well as its funding should suggest, and uh, I, 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 that's a, 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 and I think some of that is, is maybe perhaps what you're talking about here. But I think also some of it might just kind of be cultural that Americans don't value government service in the same way that Europeans do. That the best and the brightest are not all rushing into the State Department to go and stamp forms yeah uh, that 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 you they need, just also they don't like being told what to do they're rebellious and rambunctious people and as a result yeah. they're difficult to govern
1: yeah uh, and in a generation or maybe several generations you could change that and i, yeah, and I think that's yeah. the that's the aim very much so um I, I, I don't think yeah i don't think it's a great aim <laughs> but point that's I wanted what it to... looks like yeah
0: the the point I wanted to sort of make about this is it's quite interesting because of how Biden has completely failed to bridge the gaps here. So traditionally, you know, or at least in the last couple of years, uh, the president's role often when it comes to legislation is marshalling his party together and kind of bridging the divides. Because the American parties are really big, so they're always filled with divides. And Biden has just not done a good job of that. He keeps having meetings with both sides and saying... We're about to work a deal. And then he threatens one side, usually the moderates. He's it's been interesting actually that he's uh tended to yeah. to lean far more towards the lefties on this on, on these uh, debates. And uh it just <laughs> he's just come off as really incompetent. I saw the other day he said, Look, if the Democratic senators who are not on board with this, that being Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema... Um, who are both from pretty red states, particularly Joe Manchin, whose state voted for Trump by 30 points or something. Yeah. He was lucky to get back. He only just scraped in. <laughs> he, he said, ah, well, if these guys don't comply, we're going to get rid of the legislative filibuster in the Senate. So what that is, is it, it's a requirement that in order to pass legislation in the Senate, you need 60 votes. Yeah. But here's the problem with that threat. In order to get rid of the legislative filibuster, he needs the support of Joe Manchin and Christian Cinema, as far as I understand. So what does he say?
1: No, I think you can bust the filibuster with a simple majority, but it's they call that the nuclear option because it's. But they don't have
0: a majority. Is my point? Right. Oh right, (laughs)
1: yeah, exactly. He would need
0: he would need cinema at least to support it, and then. Harris to to break the tie or no no Harris only gets a vote if it's a tie I think yeah so uh, it's just been this kind of bumbling and apparently he keeps going to cinema and and mansion and saying just give me a number how much do you want to spend just give me a number mm. uh, and and I fear uh, or, or not I fear but I I suspect uh, that this is simply going to cause the far lefties to fall off the other end because the far lefties wanted to spend tri- twice as much as is currently being spent for their their side, they think they've compromised by an enormous amount. So to take it down to, you know, 2 trillion or whatever is gonna be a complete no-no for them. Uh, And so this is probably actually gonna result in a fairly good thing, which is the US is not going to spend an absolutely ridiculous amount of money on things it probably shouldn't. Uh, But it's just interesting because it seems to suggest to me that the incompetence we saw from the Biden administration when it comes to foreign policy, is very much replicated in the domestic sphere as well.
1: Yeah, I'm very depressed because I think, I mean, we saw some numbers on Biden approval, and it's really fallen through the floor. Uh, you know, and I think it's this. I think it's Afghanistan. So I it's think it's the Republicans. It's, stand also, at very good it's also that
0: he promised to to shut down COVID. He said, yeah. if you elect me president, I'm going to shut the virus down. And,
1: and America, America's happened. in the, when I was describing those two scenarios, where it's like one scenario is you had an atrocious first year and a half of the plague. And so now between vaccination and convalescence, you're in a good position to exit the pandemic and enter endemic status. Um, they didn't have it quite bad enough and they haven't vaccinated quite well enough to to hit that mark. So they are still having pockets of like serious cases and deaths. And it looks like going into the winter, that might worsen. Um, it's, it's a big place. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, so and, so and, they're in the not so great scenario where it probably is a little bit uh, like a tough winter lying ahead. And I think you'll get punished harder. And the point of that is politically come 2022, um, you've got your sort of in between elections. And I think the Republicans will take the House. I think they've got a very good chance and uh, the Senate. And then you have the same as sort of Obama when, you know, the White House is held by one team. The legislature is held by another. Trump is in a similar position. And I don't I don't think that's great in this situation, in the sense that I don't know that the Republican Party wins in 2022. I think Trump wins in 2022. He seems to still exert devastatingly, wh- tremendous, tremendous influence. Huge. <laughs> it's huge. And sort of picking off Republican Party opponents to his big line narrative one by one. And mm. he'll have force in the primaries. He'll, you know, unless something changes, I think that. I think that's yeah, pretty grim. I think it's pretty grim on both ends.
0: It's very, it's very possible. Um and I, I agree that they don't really, there's no clear sort of path out of this mess that they're in at the moment. Yeah. Uh, the Democrats are completely mad. The Republicans are completely mad. And there's a couple of sparks of light here and there, but none of them seem to be in any position where they're close to taking things over. But that being said, you know, um, as they say, a week is a long time in politics, more so for a couple of years. Yeah. And we'll see what, what Republican control of the House, which I think I agree with you, is very likely. I'm not sure if the Senate's as likely, but the House is very likely. Um, we'll see what it produces. Uh, it may yeah. change the dynamic in some way, for good or for ill. <laughs> we'll yeah,
1: so here's, so here's an analogy. So I, I was looking at some numbers, and so America's a bit like Russia, but Russia's really a lot like South Africa. So Putin's <laughs> approval rating in the latest poll is 63%. ramaphosa is 62% on our latest poll. Uh, but approval for parliament is... Like much lower in both countries, like in the 30s, maybe maxing out at 40. Um, approval for like the police is lower. It's like you, you know people kind of hate their government, but they love their tar in both countries. Yeah.
0: Oh, can I just add an addendum to that, which is that if you ask Americans, "Is Congress doing a good job?" Like 10% say
1: yes. Yeah. If you ask them,
0: "Is your congressman doing a good job?" Like 60 to 70%. Say yes.
1: Yeah. So, and Russia and South Africa don't have an equivalent for that. So they've got the tsar, and they're like, like "Well, well, that's kind of like your local tsar is doing doing a." Yeah, but that's but at least that's already not a (laughs) tsar. Right. There's no such thing as a local tsar. This is
0: it's a different kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Okay. Sure. Go ahead. So,
0: um,
1: the analogy with Russia maybe go something like this they just had a parliamentary election something like a local government election and the and putin's party just dropped below 50 percent so it's like well maybe by analogy the anc drops below 50 percent in the local government elections um and i think that would do some you know we talk about that would sort of break the hold of like the nc will rule until jesus comes makes it easier to think about real alternatives here's the problem with russia here's why that hasn't been a story that you've heard on the news oh, okay putin's party drops below 50% like opposition's growing yeah here, here comes democracy to the rescue the second biggest party is the communist party which got 18% <laughs> the third biggest party is just russia which like is mainly about sort of confiscating children from homes that have gay people in them uh and they got so like shall we 10, say not
0: a very liberal party
1: it's <laughs> a super illiberal party they got like 10 percent um the next guest party is the social democrats who i'm partial to but they are led by this like country bumpkin whose greatest ever advertising campaign ad was him saying this donkey is i'm um, he says it in russian but i'll do it in an accent this donkey is russia it is not going anywhere Everyone wants to talk nicely to the donkey. This is what you must do. And he starts whipping the donkey. And he says, davai, davai, edi, nah. He's like swearing at the donkey and hitting the donkey. And he's like, vote for us. We'll get Russia going by like whipping it into shape. Which is kind of great, but it's not the most. It's like a no Gwen and Gwen. Yeah. there's no like... <laughs>
0: Yeah, because if there's one thing that Russia certainly hasn't tried, it's brutality and aggression in its governing (laughs) style.
1: (laughs) So you need to get to like the fifth party with like three and a half percent before you find something that's really appealing. So, you know, America seems just a little bit to be like in a similar position. It's like, okay, the guy's in charge are great. The guy's not in charge. The opposition's like also not super tantalizing. And in this regard... I kind of feel irritated with all the South Africans I've hung out with in the last couple of weekends because they're all so bleak on, on our leading opposition party because it's had like some awkward news cycles and some this and some that dude, we're in a strange place where the lead opposition actually has good ideas, has been moving in the right direction is like, you know, stands a good chance of growing this year compared to 2019. Okay. Not compared to 2016, but it's like, it's relatively not so bad if you make that kind of comparison. Um and it only seem is so bad because it seems to everyone so bad that there's like no enthusiasm. Uh or not I'm saying no enthusiasm, like Gareth Cliff saying nobody, not no enthusiasm, but like pretty subdued enthusiasm, subdued by this vicarious thinking where it's like, Well, I might be excited, but only if everybody I know is excited and everybody thinks that, so then nobody's excited. Because uh, Sort of stuck in this, right? Anyway, um, I think we have. I was, I was
0: pretty excited to uh, back them until the poster thing happened, and then I'm, I'm still going to back them. Um, I going to vote D. A. this time, but uh, I would have been far more enthusiastic about it if they had, you know, I don't know, pulled off a bit of a coup there and stuck by their guns when in a difficult situation. Uh, so it's yeah. like I do get it. Like you know, I, I've been involved with the DA since I was sixteen. Well, I mean, I haven't for the last couple of years, but you know, I, I know them well. And there's a lot of reasons to not like that party.
1: No, but I at the agree. same time,
0: at the same time, come on, people! Like <laughs> in comparison to everything else, <laughs> I was looking at the website of El Jamaha, which is the very small Muslim party in South Africa. They get, they have one seat in Parliament, I think. And they got it on a fraction. They didn't actually, I think, get enough of the vote. And I thought, you know, maybe there'd be like some interesting stuff on their website about how they were, you know, for the Islamic way of doing things and that they were for morals and good values and all that kind of stuff and that they had some sort of interesting, maybe crazy ideas, but like, you know, we're going to abolish banking and replace it with Sharia banking. I'm pretty sure they've, they've given speeches like that in Parliament. And it was the most pathetic, boring, empty waffle it's like a it was like a generic company had written their website. Mm. And i thought what what's the point of being like an identity party if you can't even like embrace the identity if you just go for some kind of boring mush and that mm. is so much of what what South Africa's opposition parties apart from the d a actually are like i mean the d a sometimes does that too. Let us make no mistake, but like it, it it's much better at avoiding that problem than I remember. I know you've been a you have a much softer spot for Cope than I do, but I remember trying to look up Cope's policies on their website at one point. Yeah, and it had their website, and then it said under policies this si- this section is under construction. It'll be done soon. And that was like three years after the party launched. <laughs>
1: yeah uh guys no this is not good (laughs) (laughs) yeah i've never voted for the da before and i'm thinking about doing it this time and yeah i suppose at some level my enthusiasm has been dampened but I, i i i just see a little bit of it coming back when i firstly when i think about voting if i do vote for the da in yeovil because I'll be able to see my vote from outer space (laughs)
0: yes
1: (laughs) and I quite like that idea like okay it's nice to be the vote that makes the difference in a 51-49 contest it's also nice to be the vote like that's like okay there's 2% of people voted for that whatever I voted for that Um, but at a national level I just think it's exciting to just compare yourself to like Russia and the US like you like there's no I agree completely
0: our opposition is a much better state actually than theirs
1: yeah uh, <laughs> Notwithstanding all of the nightmares, yeah.
0: Yes, I, I, I. Uh, uh, you remind me your vote for the D.N. Marvel or potential vote for the D.N. Marvel. It reminds me. Yovel, of... not Marvel. Sure right. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yo, Yovel. Um, reminds me of the American right-wing Jew whose podcast I listen to a lot. John Padoritz, runs editor of Commentary magazine. Who <laughs> he he lives in like. Uh, Upper West Side of Manhattan or something, somewhere around there. And he says that (laughs) he usually votes Republican, right? And he can almost always see his vote in the area (laughs) he votes. There's like two votes and he's one of them and the other is his wife. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I think that might wife me. I'm not sure. I'm going (laughs) to check. See if there's anything invented. But I think... Yeah, so there's, always,
0: cool. there's always like a few Zimbabweans and stuff with uh, illegal papers who I think might vote for <laughs> DA. Yeah. So
1: keen, so keen for sure.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <In Nerville. laughs> um. Which, uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I agree. I agree with you completely on that sentiment though. we are in a better in a better place, and people should stop being so down about about our opposition, because actually we're we're right at the possible hinge of history. When things mm. might be turning around, I mean, I'm not sure they are, but it, they might. No,
1: but it's a, just just that it's a maybe. It's like Navalny in yep. Russia is, is going to have to sit in jail for twenty years before he becomes their Mandela and sort of yeah, exactly. It's,
0: it's just they're so they have a grim path to trade still by a very long way, and we've got the ballot box and it sort of works. We have the opportunity to use it right now, mm. and we've actually got it. Actually, might work, which is.
1: Really exciting. On the other hand, most people are going to vote for the party that try to deny them the vote. Anyway.
0: Yes, maybe, no, not, is, maybe not
1: most, a plurality. Yeah. So we are not, we are not, uh,
0: we are not in the, the halcyon Uplit land of wonder and merriment yet, <laughs> by any means of the imagination. Uh, but you know, we can, we can still remain optimistic. Not a completely crazy thing to be optimistic here. Being an optimistic Russian is a very difficult thing.
1: Yeah, you've gotta you've gotta have a <laughs> one of your best hopes is whip the donkey harder. <laughs> I have being an optimistic Russian, you've just you've just sent my mind into like a jungle gym of mental obstacles. I can't
0: <laughs> I
1: can't make sense of anything you just said now. My brain is <laughs> eating itself. <laughs> Anyway, uh we are ten minutes over
0: an hour. So shall we shall we pull the ship into harbour? Yeah,
1: I want to make my recommendation because for once I feel like I've got one. Ah, good. So I'm I'm holding the book here. It's Johnny Clegg, Scatlings of Africa, my early years. Um I'm living in the Clegg household, so I'm uh, partial. Uh and I haven't finished the book, so I won't review it. Um, but, but I, but I, but I really recommend it. I, I remember. The, I remember chatting with Johnny when he was. He started writing this, sort of. I think pretty close to the time, maybe just. But after my mom started writing her memoir, a few of our sort of that circle of friends uh, sort of got to the point where they were doing this, and with him, uh, you know, I think part of the impetus was that. He had cancer and wanted to get the story down before he died, and he didn't finish it. So in a sense, it's like you get to read a, a rough draft, um, which is exciting because it means that kind of Google, Goggle goop you're describing with the Al-Jamaha website, you know, it hasn't been sort of corporatized and butchered into uh, something like that. I'm not sure it would have been, but I'm just saying that, that hasn't happened. And it's not really that rough. He's a really good storyteller, and he's put his story down into words in a very compelling way um i'll just tell you one anecdote uh before i started reading it from the beginning i just opened it randomly in the middle and and this bit i read and it had a personal resonance so uh johnny's living with his mom and his stepdad um in yeovil i think and it's like nine o'clock at night and they're taking the dog for a walk and his stepdad uh had i don't know drunk the equivalent of the wrong Woolworths juice or eaten the equivalent of the wrong pie or whatever. He had terrible diarrhea and he wasn't going to make it home. So he looks around and he says to Johnny, he's like, Johnny's like 12 or whatever. He's like, dude, I'm not going to make it. Johnny's like, what? He's like, yeah, like, hold on to the dog or something. And he, this man pulls down his pants and leans back against one of the jacaranda trees and explodes all over the pavement (laughs) and johnny is so stunned that he can't look away it's just like a train coming at you (laughs) and it's like he's just like seeing this dude
0: everything you're taught as a child and you and it's suddenly been undone in an instant by his father figure
1: and reading it i was like reminded of being a kid and we had all these diarrhea rhymes like if you're climbing up the tree and something green goes down your knee, it's diarrhea. It's diarrhea. If you're walking through the city and you smell something shitty, it's diarrhea. Anyway, you know, it's like that toy human <laughs> thing. They they go on forever. I won't say all the rhymes, right. um, but you know. So so little twelve year old Johnny's just like, what is going on? This is kind of disgusting. What is happening? And he's he's really shocked and he's really put off. And his dad sort of wipes himself off with some leaves, and he says, bush toilet paper, don't worry about it, I'm going to finish up when we get inside, pulls up his pants, buckles up, takes the dog, they go inside, and and it's all, okay, Okay. and as they start walking again, Johnny kind of, I don't know, he he feels this release, like a sense of joy, actually, and elation, And it's because he recalls when he'd been sent to boarding school as a six-year-old, sort of like really brutal environment, I think, in then Rhodesia, um, where he had been so terrified because you weren't allowed to go to the toilet after nine o'clock and there's like corporate punishment and he was like six years old, that he kind of messed himself in the bed. Mm. And then instead of doing something about it, he kind of just stayed in it, just feeling humiliated and disgusted, like... uh, and here he saw this, like, father figure, this, like, good man. Just be practical and be like, you know what? This is a terrible situation, but I'm just going to make the best of it and just deal with it and just move on and, and wear it like it's okay and it's not actually the end of the world. And he's like, that is so much better. Just, like, just deal with it. Uh, and he felt this release from the shame that he realized he'd been sort of holding in his heart um, for half of his life as a 12-year-old. Um, and I, and his, and his father's like, his stepdad's like, uh, you know, super karate black bolt, like trained in like mastering your emotions. It's not like he was like a recluse, extravagant guy. It's just like, you know, when the rubber hits the road, he'll, he'll just deal with the situation as it is with no thrills and no fuss and, and without making it worse by being so embarrassed that you kind of make it worse. And I think embarrassment, I don't know, Lena and I've been talking about embarrassment and, it's kind of this emotion where it can kind of turn you off. You can run away and put your head in the hole and, and never want to see the world again. And it can also just be a thing where you're like, we're human, we're flawed, we're gross, we're great, we are all these contradictions, and and you've got to just keep going. You got to can't let it get you down forever. You've got to pick yourself up and keep going. Sometimes you need to lean against a tree and unbuckle and just explode on the pavement and recover. And it's okay. <laughs> and... I like, I don't know, that story kind of resonated with me because I remember some of my first memories of hanging out with Johnny were, I was like three years old, Jesse was five years old, and him sort of just telling us disgusting stories about mythological creatures that like, one made a poo the size of a planet and then sort of its gravitational pull kind of destroyed the enemy fleet of ships that were coming in to destroy the earth. And, you know, it's just potty humor and it's childish. But there's also something I think profound about there's something about the warrior code, uh, which 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 is about dealing with a gory side of life and and not and not looking away from the troubles and addressing them and knowing that it's not going to be perfect and it's not always gonna be graceful, but you can actually get to the other side if you f- do something about it. Um and okay I, that's I think a, a slightly a different. Many more romantic and sentimental stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, which is don't walk the dog when you have an upset stomach.
1: Yes, no, I think
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think there's also something to that. So, I have a I have a bit of a lazy recommendation, but one that I don't think I've done before. I've decided so as part of what I do for the institute. Well, I, if I can I just be,
1: finish my recommendation, yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I think for for most people, there's, there is something there's a kind of fascination that most people have with fame. Um, and that can be pretty gross, but we also have a fascination with, and, and, and Johnny was such a, he was, he was so antagonistic to that. All these people, his line was often, they want to know, they want to know what's the secret to fame, you know? And the secret is you, the guy who's, who's fascinated by fame. You know, that's how you get people who are famous for being famous. Uh, it's not a, it's not very complicated it's just ridiculous, but there's a separate thing which is a fascination with success and with beauty and with 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 triumph over adversity um and it's interesting to me that like undoubtedly one of South Africa's most successful artists and anthropologists and sort of cultural adventurers uh that he thinks like an important part of his story was Seeing a man take a dump on the side of the street, like that's just an extreme example. But there's so many little details um, about what has cobbled together this biography and turned it into a success story, um, uh, successful at quite a human level. Um, you know, that's that's outside of the fame and the money and the what and the and the sort of cheering crowds and and really about like you know how how do you manage these relationships? Um, how do you find the the emotional strength to Pick yourself up after an embarrassment um, and and open yourself up to the the beautiful stuff, to the good stuff in such a harsh environment. Anyway, so I, I don't want to make it seem like the book's all just like silly of humor stuff. There's <laughs> there's something else there, but it's a nice example of the surprise of, of dipping into a life story uh, of someone that you might think you already know. I said, so yeah, OK, sorry, Nick, back to your rick you were saying.
0: Yeah. Um, so as part of work, I got to read a lot of news. Um, I'm always checking out the news websites to just sort of see stories that might be uh, around that we can talk about on the Daily Friends Show podcast. And I kind of go to a number of websites just to get the sort of general things. But I've decided to add a new one to my rotation. And it's not... Uh, it's, it's actually the Daily Mail. <laughs> <laughs> because... The Daily Mail is just—I don't know. There's just there just isn't that much like it right now. It's that kind of. It's it's one of those bastions of that old style of British journalism that a horrid
1: muckraking kind of smut, instance. and yet they will yes. tell you the smut, and yes, yet they, they will, will tell also, you the smut. they will get their but first. I've got to say, dude, they they got their first on so many of the most important coronavirus stories. It's
0: true. It's true that because they're not. So, Because they're sort of politically unorthodox and, and they sort of have such a low reputation and they're like the scum of the journalistic world in so many ways, at least in the eyes of many other media establishments, yes. uh, they, they don't have the same sort of hang-ups about, like, bucking the trends or, or reporting on things. And I'm surprised by how often the most detailed and best-written story on some issue. It's actually
1: in the Daily Mail. So so for an example, this week, um, uh, uh, a member of the National Institute of Health in America confessed that an experiment had been done to get a bat coronavirus to amend its furin cleavage site so that it would be able to infect, to grab onto ACE2 receptors. And that was then done Mm -hmm. on humanized mice and it made those mice much sicker. In other words, like... Okay, so he says there's... Anyway, this is like a, this is an important uh, data point in isolation, doesn't prove anything, but an important data point in the lab leak hypothesis that the Daily Mail got to like days before the New York Times. Because the New York <laughs> Times had to figure out how to squeeze this into the narrative. Whereas the yeah, Daily Mail was like, to, this, this is interesting, this is an official letter to a congressperson, um, this is news, check it out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh,
0: And and I must say, also, like, the the smut is often quite fun to read. There's a reason why. I mean, uh, yeah, and the photos and things, they always get, like, lots of big photos that they put all (laughs) all over it, and they have some ridiculous spin on it that's sometimes really funny in the headline. Uh, They really like the strong words, tragic, horrid, uh, betrayal. I mean... So they've got a story here on Queen Elizabeth, who was recently in the hospital. Um, uh, she needs to clear her schedule a bit. Her, her staff wants her to clear her schedule a bit because they think she's too busy for someone so old. She's 95. And they're calling it Operation Purge the Queen's Diary. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, and tell us that other story, that, that one that we both saw that you forwarded to me.
0: Uh, so the, the headline is, I am a black woman in a white court. Former Labour MP claims she fears being discriminated against as she faces jail for threatening to throw acid over a suspected love rival. So <laughs> <Nesteshire> <laughs> East MP Claudia Webb. There's a lot 56, going on there. Uh, she she's, I was convicted, I believe, of threatening to throw acid over a suspected love rival and also threatening to send naked photos of this woman to her family. She was uh, convicted of harassment and maybe facing uh, jail time. And her response to this was I, I'm i facing discrimination because I'm a black woman in a white system with white prosecutors and they're trying to destroy me. It's like the most crass example of uh, the kind switch, of race, race. entrepreneur yeah, yeah. Uh, d- 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 douchebaggery in, in, in the world uh, that I think I've seen in a while. I mean, at least outside of South Africa. It's just so sort of blatant that she's just grabbing whatever it is to have to use it as a weapon. <laughs> and, and the Daily Mail
1: jumps uh, on it and adds the photos. Yeah, and they it's do, because it's a good story.
0: story. It's a good story. It's an interesting story. It's about, you know, an actual political figure. I mean, she was a freaking MP in the Labour Party. Yeah. And uh, no one else is going to cover that because it's just a bit too embarrassing.
1: Yeah, it's too much like the embarrassing man. Exactly. I've got to say one other thing about the Daily Mail to endorse this endorsement. Um I was really frustrated. Reuters is the is the world's largest and most trusted second largest and most trusted um news outlet. They're amazing. They've got resources They're better in pretty than pretty Associated country. Press. They're so good. Their app on my phone kept crashing. Uh it became super frustrating. I I canceled it. I re-downloaded it. It just stopped working after working really nicely for a couple of years. So then I got into the AP, the Associated Press, and I just like had to deal with so many badly written stories that were like oh, no, expurging important mad. facts,
0: and just just also kind of the kind of hiding the news exactly. Yeah. And there was uh, there's always these stories where they just start off by saying, uh, you know. <laughs> the, the demon horned republicans attempted to sabotage light and freedom in i'm exaggerating but like yeah, honestly no, the, the way that language is used in the associated
1: press is often so leading and so yeah, just yeah uh, it's frustrating so then i got i've got a new york times subscription that someone else is paying for um and that's, useful <laughs> that's for something, the especially the archive um yeah. And then I got the Spectator because I think they write beautifully. I think sometimes they get it wrong, actually. Um, the, the Spectator but, they write in my experience... but their app their app is useless. The Daily Mail has <laughs> got a great app. Like just from a user interface perspective, it's a, it's it's a huge publication that therefore generates a lot of stories. So if you just want stories from the UK and around the world, they're they're pretty good at that. They often get their first, as we've said. Yeah, their eds are f- flavorful. They got Nile Ferguson before the Economist did. You know, they get really big name, respectable guys. Um, but th- they've they've also clearly got enough money to to be getting the photos, to be getting the dirt, and to be uh, using a tech team that can actually make because their app work in a way that Reuters can't. There's there's lots of yeah, there's lots of of, of photos of
0: scantily clad celebrities on <laughs> the Daily Mail. Um, yeah, I kind of avoid that because of like. Oh. <laughs> It's kind of difficult to avoid that because they're right down the side of the page and there's lots of them.
1: Now, but on the phone, on the phone app, you actually, uh, you, you get it less. So it's yeah. like good, it's good hard news with a bit of smut.
0: No, exactly. Um, which is, you know, I don't think anyone 30 years ago might have seen that Daily Mail being as one of the last sort of bastions of being able to actually read clear, informative reporting, but here we are. Yeah. All right, and with that, let us call it to a close. So thank you very much for listening, everyone. We managed to make it to one and a half hours somehow. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed
1: the show. And we'll, of
0: course, see you hopefully on Friday.
1: Yeah, we'll and to check fire. it out. We're, we're looking at guests. Uh, yeah. We've got two, two guests lined guests. up, so it's going to be exciting.
0: Yeah. Anyway, have a wonderful one, and keep the flag for liberty flying ker 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 ker
1: ker 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 ker
0: ker 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 Current crew, current crew, current crew, current crew, current crew,